Good evening, everyone. Can you, can you hear me all right? Yeah? Super fantastic. Um, tonight, we are going to be looking at the book of First John, okay? Um, John is the author of the book, and actually, if, you haven't, if you're maybe new to Orangefield tonight, we have been working our way through the books of the New Testament. We started all the way in Matthew in January time, and we're hopefully, hopefully going to be finishing up at the book of Revelations just before summertime. So I'm doing First John tonight. Um, people have taken all different uh, looks at it. We've seen people taking books and doing an overview of the book. Um, but tonight we're going to be taking just a few verses in this short book of First John. I'm going to look at what it has to say to us. Um, the author of the book is a guy called John. Um, he also wrote the Gospel of John as well. And throughout the book of First John, he makes a number of contrasts between lots of different things. For example, contrast between light and dark, contrast between loving the Father against loving the world, Christ and the Antichrist, true teaching and false teaching. And tonight we're going to be looking at one of those contrasts. And all of those things are there is to actually help encourage the Christians that you know, if you're living a life um, you know, with following the right things, this is a good thing, be confident in that. But it's also there so people can see where they're maybe making some mistakes and, and where they need to think about moving towards as well. So we're going to be looking at First John tonight. The title of tonight's talk is Learning to Love, okay? I realize in the order of service it says Learning to Love Ben McMeekin, okay? That's, a, <laughs> that's going to take much longer than one talk. But tonight we're going to be looking um, at simply this whole idea of love. And maybe the PowerPoint will, will pop up on the screen in a wee second here. Um, recently, the Gospel Coalition put together um, an article, and the article, what they did was they took all of the books in the Bible, and they looked at them, they said, what was the clear message in this book? And they gave, they gave each one a word, okay, a word that summarized what they were all about. And um, the, book for, the word for First John was the word love, okay, was the word love. So it's really interesting to see that, because during First John, um, the word love is said 44 times in five chapters. And actually in chapter 4, which we're going to look at now, it's said 27 times. Um, so I'm going to read uh, just the verses we're going to be looking at tonight, which is from 1 John chapter 4. So we'll look at those now. If you've got a Bible with you, you can open that and have a look and read along with us. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. We'll read that together now. It says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Um, we'll just pray quickly before we start. Father, we thank you um, for just this church, and we thank you for the opportunity to, to work our way through the New Testament. As we come to an end, we just pray tonight that the words that you've given me to say, Father, will be words that teach us something, that we see a new light, that we see love through this lens of Scripture, and maybe love not through the lens of the world as we're so used to. Um, so, Father, I just pray you'll be with us tonight, and we'll have hearts to hear and ears to hear as well, Father. I pray all this in your name. Amen. And um, this message of love is something John keeps coming back to over and over again, okay? This message of love, okay? We'll see it coming through over and over again, this message of love. And actually, tonight, the first simple message will be simply to love one another. And we're going to see that's the challenge that we're given later on. But we've got to ask ourselves a question. What on earth do we mean 
when we say this word love, like, what do we mean? Because I think we're quite confused about it. Um, I work for an organization called Love for Life, and we travel around schools all around Northern Ireland, talking to young people about relationships, but also talking to them about this word love. And I've got like a million different answers from a million different young people about what this word love means. But I also think we're a wee bit confused in how we use it in our language. For example, two things here. Two things is this. In one sentence, we'll say, I love ice cream, right? But a few minutes later, you might say, I love my granny. Now, here's the thing. I don't think we mean the exact same thing when we say this word love, because if you loved your granny the same way that you loved ice cream, it would not end well, okay? I can assure you that it would not end well. And so we've got to think, what does this word love mean? It gets even more complicated when we add in what the media has to say us about love. Um, I don't know if anyone has seen the show Love Island, okay? There's a new series starting up, um, I think tomorrow, actually. But last year, two million people viewed in to watch this show, Love Island. The premise of the show was that they stuck about 20 or so uh, debatably beautiful single young people into this villa in Mallorca. And they couple up throughout it, uh, lots of different couples. By the time they're finished in the show of four to six weeks, they've coupled up with like 10 different people, okay? At the end of it, they're voted in. People tune in to see the, the love and the drama between all of the different couples going on. And by the end of it, the, winner, well, the winning couple wins £50,000. And actually, we'll see now, after last year, after last year, the winning couple split up after a few weeks. And actually, all of the couples, pretty much, have split up in some sense. They've cheated on each other. They've moved on. Love just did not happen. So, I was thinking, where on earth can I get a good answer about what is love? Where can I get a good answer? Where can I get one with no strings attached? Where can I get one which is just a simple answer that they just think it through? And so, I thought, the best person to ask is a seven-year-old. All right, so, I'm going to show a short clip. A bunch of children were asked, what is love? And here are some of the answers which they give. Like love people. Love is like a way of saying I love you. Huh? I love you. A what? I love you is what you're saying. Oh, I love you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. But uh, what is love? It's where you care about somebody and you live with them and you just love them, like your boyfriend or your mom or dad. You have a boyfriend. Love means when um, you be nice and not mean and you're interested in a person. It's a feeling of happiness. It's a sign of happiness. Love is feeling. 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 A good feeling. A warm feeling. It's a feeling and kind of a taste. Where in your body do you feel love? Oh, um, mostly to the right, but sometimes the left. In your heart. Hot. My feet. What is love? Love is something that everyone has, but they still have to find. Sometimes you can get mad. Sometimes feels uncomfortable. It's an emotion. A heartbeat. Love smells like flowers. Love feels like butterflies. It could mean different things, like you could like love your family. Who's the people that you love? My family. My mom. What is love? That's what is love. What is love? Huh. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know love. Love is a thing that you like. It's when you like like, like somebody. You like someone. When people like each other. A lot. A lot. Like a lot, a lot. When two people really, 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 really like each other. So much. If you like someone and you want to marry them. That is when you get married. 
to get married. If you have like a good relationship. What is love? A lion. A fire. What is love? Uh, angel. To me, love is disgusting. Love is not being fake. When two people find each other in the world, caring for someone. Caring about someone with, with your whole heart. That you can trust. Someone you trust. It's a passion thing. When you're really happy. Mushy gushy. Kissing somebody and hugging somebody. Can you hug someone? Two people kiss. Kissing. Kissing, kissing, kissing. Love? Is Love it? is like Some pretty interesting answers and some pretty definitions of what love might be, okay? Um, the Oxford Dictionary says, Love is a strong feeling of affection or a great interest or pleasure in something. The Huffington Post said, Love is the most powerful emotion a human can experience. We can even take a test nowadays to find out how you like to give and receive love. It's called the Love Language Test. Actually pretty interesting to, to check out. But even more, for some people, this word love might bring a bit of a negative feeling. It might bring one that reminds them of a, a broken relationship. Uh, a marriage that just didn't work, um, a friendship that wasn't meant to be. It might even remind someone of their flaws and their insecurities. Um, you know, how, how could anyone possibly love me? It might even be a word that's used to manipulate. It might be a word that's used to get what someone wants. Whatever this word love means, it means something to someone. And so we saw that there that most people will say that this word love is a feeling. Um, but actually the challenge tonight, as I said before, is going to be to see this word love not through the lens of the world, but through the lens of the scripture, um, through the lens of this passage, which we're going to look, to light, look at tonight. And in doing so, we will see that this word love, one that we've thrown around easily, one which we don't give much depth to, we'll see that the Bible gives it depth. We'll see that the Bible gives it power. And actually, there's so much hope in this word love, which we're going to look at. Um, the well-known passage, which I was even hearing today at my grandparents' anniversary, is this, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verses 4 to 7, where it discusses what love is. It says, love is patient, Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. And so this passage there not only suggests that love is an action and love is a choice, but it suggests that love at times can be quite a difficult action and quite a difficult choice that we have to make. So we're going to unpack what this word love is based on 1 John. So three things we're going to look at tonight and that we can learn from this passage. Firstly, we'll see that God is the source of love. We will see that God, God's love is the standard of genuine love. That is the standard. And we will see finally that those two things tell us something, that God's love sends. Okay? So we'll first look at God being the source of love. So this is from 1 John, verses 4. Uh, chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. I'll read that out again. It says this in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Some pretty big statements are made there. and We see in verse 7, they say that love comes from God. We see in verse 8 that God is love. And that second statement, that God is love, is a huge one. God is love. And to maybe try and grasp and understand a little bit more about what that means, um, what I'd love you to do is think of someone in your mind, maybe someone close, 
whether it's a mum, a dad, a daughter, a son, a wife, a husband, someone very close to you who you think is a real example of what love looks like, okay? Insert their name into God as love. So it might look like mum is love, uh, son is love, or whoever that is. Insert that in there. And when you say that a few times, it just, it just doesn't quite work. It just doesn't quite make sense. Um, and, you know, that person might be really loving. They might be the best example you know in your life about someone who knows how to love, right? But you can't say and define them as love. But here's the thing, and this is our first point tonight, that no matter how rich and amazing and full a person's love is, their character cannot be 100% alone defined as love. Only God can. His character is love. And that's the foundation of tonight, that God is love. That's where this comes from. This brings us on to the next thing. God's love is the standard of genuine love. Verses 9 and 10 in verse John start to paint the picture of what this love looks like. It says this, He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is verse 9. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And there's a number of things we can say from this about God's love. Firstly, we can say that God was giving. Okay, God's love is a giving kind of love. He sent his son. He gave us his son. God's love is giving. You see that God is selfless. God's love is selfless. He gave his only son. It was the only thing he had to give. He gave his son. God's love is personal. He acted towards the world. There was a target. There was an audience towards that God was sending his love towards us, the world. We're going to see that God's love is purposeful so that we might live. There was a reason behind it, and this is what makes the cross so significant. There was a reason behind it that we might live. And finally, from this passage, from this verse, we can say that God's love was consistent, that we might live through him, that we might live through the eternal God. There's consistency in God's love. I don't know about you, but if you were to try and describe how you love people um, with those five words, giving, selfless, personal, purposeful, consistent, I don't know like how often at all I can even use one of those words sometimes to describe how I love people. Never mind all five, never mind all the time. I mean, like, imagine, right? Imagine if our love was the standard, you know, our actions, how we treated people, what we did for others, what we said to them. If God only sent Jesus to die on the cross based on how good we were at loving, honestly, I think we'd be absolutely toast, right? If God only sent Jesus to die based on how good our standard of love was. I think it's our love is controlled by emotions and feelings which change all the time. They do not make a good standard. But thankfully, God's love is gracious. It didn't depend on us having that standard. And so verse 10 in 1 John chapter 4 finishes with this. It says, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that phrase, atoning sacrifice, is an interesting one because in some translations, the word propitiation is used, okay? Bit of a strange word. If you say this word propitiation loads and loads of times, it'll sound even stranger, okay? Is that really bothering everyone, that? I guess switch mic, yeah. Is that better? Everyone can actually hear now. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so this is the thing. This word propitiation, it's really important that we kind of get a bit of a grasp about what this means because when we understand a little bit about what this word propitiation means, it gives us what the depth of God's love is all about. And so um, we can maybe use a few other words because we would say Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. So to try and understand this a little bit more, 
We could try and swap this word out for a few simpler ones. We might say uh, he is the sacrifice for our sins. We might say he is the substitute for our sins. Or even he might even say he is the remedy for our sins. All of those are good words, but they don't quite do justice to what this word propitiation is all about. And so propitiation, it's got two parts to the meaning. The first part is this, that Jesus was the perfect substitute. Okay? He took the punishment that we deserved, and only him, only Jesus could be that sacrifice. And the second part is this, that in being that perfect substitute, Jesus completely satisfied the wrath of God. Okay? So that nobody who accepts Jesus into their lives will have to face that wrath of God. And that's the significance of propitiation. Only Jesus could have been that person. But also in doing that, he completely satisfied the entire wrath of God. I mean, how is that for a standard of love? That's amazing. That is such an amazing standard of love. Like what God did by sending Jesus to die on the cross for you and me, that is the highest standard of love that there is. And the thing is, we can only come close to the standard of love if we know him first. And God has given us that model of what perfect love looks like. Um, And when we know him, it just allows us to to love other people and love one another um, a little bit more like that love that we're talking about with propitiation. And so this brings us on to our final point, that God's love sends, okay? And here's the thing. So far, we've seen that God, God's love, God is the source of love. We've seen that God has given us the perfect model of what love looks like, what genuine love looks like. And after John explains both these points to us, Um, His language changes, how he addresses us changes a little bit. Um, And this is what he says. He actually uses the word dear friends, or in some translations he uses the word beloved. Um, I don't know if you've ever called anyone beloved before. Um, I don't very often, but maybe you do. Um, But beloved back then meant someone really close to you, someone you really cared about. And, And I think at this point John probably would have softened his voice a little bit just to draw us in um, because he really wanted us to hear, really wanted us to listen and do what he had to say next. So this, this is what he says in verse 11 of 1 John chapter 4. He says, Beloved, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love others. You know, if God did all this for you, you ought to love one another. Like, this is it. God's love, it sends us, it makes us do something, it makes us think, it challenges us, it changes us. And this is actually not the first time we've heard this commandment to love one another before. Um, Actually, the whole way through Jesus' ministry, this is one of his main points. We see in John chapter 13, he says, A new command that I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. John 15, he says, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. So to finish on tonight, what does it look like when God's love flows through us? What does it look like? What happens in our lives when God's love flows through us? And I think there's a, there's a number of things that happen. I'm going to talk about three of them. There's way more things that happen when God's love flows through us, and other people experience that, okay? So we're going to talk about three things. The first one is this. God's love must flow through us, okay? Um, this, this is not a suggestion that John is giving us in this text. He's not saying, uh, you know, think about it. Um, if it suits you, love someone else, right? Love one another if it suits you. No, it's a commandment, okay? In fact, it says in First John chapter 4, verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. Ouch. Anyone who does not love does not know 
God, okay? We can't say we're Christians and then not love. That is the essence of living a life following Jesus. And so here's the thing, you know, if we do not love, we do not know God. And if we do not know God, we do not have eternal life. It's really that simple. God's love, first and foremost, must flow through us to one another. The second thing is this. If we are people that love one another, um, we will become people that start to give up our time. Um, Time is one of the most precious things that we have to give. Um, It's something that everyone has, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're popular, whether you're not. Everybody has time to give to someone else. It's a precious resource that we have. And under time comes this word, hospitality. Um, I want to tell you a a quick story just to finish up on. I lived in a house at university. That's good. I lived in a house. And um, there were 16 people that lived in my house down at university. A lot of people go, wow, that's a lot of people. That was just normal. That's just what I was used to, 16 people. And one of the guys I lived with was a guy called Peter. Peter was this, like, six-foot-five South African guy. He was this huge guy. Like, you'd think he was terrifying, but he was the nicest guy you could ever come across. And he kind of was just one of those people that knew everyone. And as a house of 16, we were all Christians. We decided we would love to make our house a place of community. We'd love to make it a place where anyone was welcome. And so what we did was we uh, opened the house up to anyone if you wanted to come around for lunch or whatever. But also, as a house, we said, we want to eat together, right? We want to have dinner every day at 6 o'clock. We'll eat together. And this was class, right? Because it meant you got your dinner cooked for you pretty much every day for three weeks straight, okay? But the downside was you had the one horrific day in three weeks where you had to cook for 16 people, right? And like when I went to uni, I think when my mum gave me instructions from the very first thing I made, the first step was identify the oven kind of thing, right? So I, I am no expert when it came to cooking. So cooking for 16 people, big day, big step up, big planning needs to happen, okay? And uh, it came to the day when I was cooking for 16 people in the house. And when it was your turn to cook, I know we were a house of community, but you had one sneaky thought in your mind. You were hoping secretly that nobody would invite anyone over for dinner the night you were cooking. Because this meant, this just kept the number as low as possible. And um, I was cooking, I was getting my stuff ready, I planned all what I was going to do. And I got a text from my mate Peter, who lived in the house with me. And Peter said, hey Ben, um, do you mind if I invite over five people for dinner? Yeah. And um, five people. In my head, I was like, Peter, what, you can't invite five people over. But of course, I text him back saying, no problem, mate. Bring him on over, right? And uh, invited five people over. I was going to write 21 people I've got to cook for. Things are getting interesting, okay? And uh, next morning, wake up, have another text from Peter. And the text goes, hey, Ben, how's it going? It's going, all right, Peter. Um, do you mind if I invite over three more people? Yeah, right. Really pushing his luck at the minute, Peter is. In my head, I'm going, you cannot be serious, Peter. Inviting another three people over. But of course, I text him back saying, no problem, mate. Bring him on over. Bring him on over. Yes, so about three hours before dinner. At this point, I am sweating a lot, and I'm cooking, I was going to say vegetables, but you don't eat vegetables in uni. I was cooking a lot of bags of chips, okay? Getting them all ready to go. Getting the oven, trying to find some sort of space to feed everyone. Get another text message from Peter. Right, you know where this is going, okay? This is true. Ben, do you mind if I invite one more person over for dinner tonight? Just, just one more person, of course. Like, Peter, you might as well invite another hundred people over the rate you're going. But one more person said, no problem, mate. Bring him on over. And it got to the point of dinner. At this point, we'd abandoned all table formation and structure. We were just taking a space in the kitchen or anywhere. Some people were eating in the bathroom. Just anywhere that someone could fit, okay, at this point. And uh, Peter came in with his convoy of people. And uh, I was expecting these to all be his medical student friends or people he knew and people maybe I knew from uni. But actually, as they started to come in, I realized that these were people that actually 
I don't even think were, were from even Northern Ireland. Um, these were students who were, um, actually, this is their first time being in Belfast. This is their first time being in Northern Ireland. Um, and there were people who, they didn't know each other. These ten people, these nine people didn't know each other. And Peter, Peter had got to know these people. He got to know these students. He'd taken time out of his day to get to know them. And he knew we had community in our house. And these guys didn't. So he said, come on over to my house. We will feed you and we'll give you community. And uh, as much as I was stressing and freaking out about it, that night was such a great night. We got to welcome these people in. And they felt part of our community just for, just for that dinner. And then they had to go back to maybe being a wee bit more outsiders in what felt like this big, scary world of university. And um, it's that whole idea of hospitality because... We will see that Jesus was probably the best example of what hospitality looks like. Um, we see that Jesus went to the people he needed to go to. That Jesus um, invited people over who maybe no one else would invite over. And sometimes when it comes to church, our biggest challenge, our biggest courageous thing we have to do is, oh, how could I invite that person to church? Well, my suggestion to you is this. Before you get the courage to invite someone to church, why don't you invite them over to your house for dinner? Why don't you show them some love by inviting them over for some supper, a cup of tea, something like that. And we don't need to have the most extravagant clean houses or the biggest feast ever. Like, that's not why we invite people over. We invite them over so we can enjoy them. We can enjoy their company. It's not about impressing. It's not about showing off. Let's be like that. In John 13, it says this. This is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. So that's the second point. And the last point for tonight is this. When we are people who love one another, we are people who encourage well. Um, I think encouragement is something that's underrated in society at the minute. Again, it's something free we can all give. And if God's love flows through us, we must be people who encourage well. Um, and really, sincere encouragement can, can change people. Like, sincere encouragement can, can impact how someone lives their life. It can dictate what direction an individual goes in their life. Uh, I love this quote by a worship leader, Jeremy Riddle. It says this, Encouragement is oxygen to the human spirit. Never forget. It's like you're carrying someone else's air. Encourage them. Help them breathe. Paul writes in First Thessalonians, Encourage one another. Build one another up, just as you're doing. Because here's the thing. When God's love flows through us, we become people who encourage well. And just as a finish off in the last minute, um, imagine this. Imagine next week. So Gary's not with us tonight. Um, he's preaching somewhere else. But Gary is our associate minister. Okay? Imagine next week, Gary stands up and he gives a talk, an amazing message on loving one another. Okay? At the end of the service, we're all like, Gary, you're the man. That was amazing. right? Best sermon you've ever had. Okay? It was amazing. Week two, Gary stands up, gives the sermon. Exact same message to love one another. At this point, a few of us are kind of going, it's good. Yeah, it was good. It was Pretty similar to last week's, it was good, um, but it was really, really great message. Week three, Gary stands up and he gives the exact same message to love one another. At this point, a few of us are getting a wee bit concerned for Gary's health. Um, we're wondering if he's all right. Has he remembered the talks he's been doing the last few times? Is he just on repeat now? And um, a few of us are starting to say, well, it was better the first time. Week four, Gary stands up, you guessed it, gives the exact same talk and loving one another again. Um, and, he, and at the end, he, he says this. Um, you may have realized I've said the same talk four weeks in a row now. Um, everyone's nodding in the, converse, in the congregation. Yes, we have. Um, and he says this. The reason I've done it four times in a row, and the reason I'm going to keep giving this message to love one another, is because the Bible says that this message is too important 
for us not to do well. It's too important for us not to understand the importance of loving one another. And throughout this whole message of John, this is exactly what he's been doing. Over and over again, this command to love one another, it's too important for us as a church to not do well. Because through people, through our love, that's how people will see Christ living within us. Let's pray. Father, we um, thank you for tonight. We thank you for your message to love one another. We thank you that you're a God who, who shows us what that looks like. You've given us the perfect example. And Father, I just pray in our lives as we leave this place, wherever we're heading next week, whatever we're doing, whoever we're in contact with, Father, help us to be people that love well, that love um, sacrificially, and that look for the moments where we can show our Jesus to other people. So, Father, we pray that as we end tonight, we will continue to worship you, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to do that. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.